Welcome to the Bell Podcast. My name is Marcy Timmerman. I'm the Executive Director of Mental Health America of Kentucky, the producer of this podcast. We want to send a special thanks to the Kentucky Department of Behavioral Health, Developmental and Intellectual Disabilities for uh, helping fund this event today. Today we are going to talk about what happens when you call a crisis line. This audio is from a webinar that we had live on May 17th of 2022 for Mental Health Month. Uh, this is before 988 is live, so if you're listening to us after July 16th of 2022, please recognize that the National Suicide Prevention Number has officially gone to 988. Uh, if you are listening before July 2022, 988 will not be in effect quite yet. So uh, hold tight on that one until about mid-July for us. But the crisis lines are available. They're a longer number. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. That will not go away. 988 is simply the same number. Um, so they are going to work together for a very long time. If you would like to access the crisis line for these centers that we are talking to, please head to mhaky.org and go to the Get Help link and you will find find all the crisis lines for every county in Kentucky. Without further ado, we're going to jump right into the webinar audio. Thanks for sticking with us. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for attending this webinar on what in the world happens when you call a crisis line. I want to really thank all of you for coming today, for those of you who are participating, and especially those of you who are our presenters. So I'm going to start with um, alphabetical by first name. So I'm going to have Audra Hall introduce herself for you, and then we will go to Darcy, and then Geneva and Jeremy, and I had to think about that because alphabetical, it wasn't my normal thing. So I'll go ahead and Audra and tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from. Yeah, so my name is Audra Hall. Um, I'm a LCSW and um, I work with the Penny Royal Center and I am the coordinator of emergency services. Um, we're in Western Kentucky. Thanks, Darcy. Hi, I'm Darcy Miller. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. Uh, I work with New Vista, which is in the Lexington area and the county surrounding it. Uh, we are, that's our community health center. We serve 17 counties. Uh, and my title is the Director of Emergency Response and Client Engagement. Awesome. Geneva. Hi, I'm Geneva Robinson. I am the Crisis Director for Seven County Services, and we serve the Louisville and six surrounding counties area of, of the state. So thank you for having me. Jeremy. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Jeremy Kiefer. I am a certified social worker with River Valley Behavioral Health. I'm the program evaluator for our agency. Uh, prior to moving into that position, I was a crisis line call taker for 10 plus years. So, uh, River Valley services the seven county region of Western Kentucky. So it's Davis County and that surrounding area. And for those who aren't familiar with me, I am Marcy Timmerman, the Executive Director of Mental Health America of Kentucky. So thank you again for coming today. Thank you all. So the first question I want to pose is when should someone call a crisis line? You all can kind of decide who grabs that first. <laughs> I can start. I'm, I'm going to say anytime it's needed. Um, honestly, we, we are a crisis line and often the perception of that is that we are a suicide prevention line, which is a big part of what we do. Absolutely. But one thing that I know we really hope is that anytime a person feels like they are in need of support for anything that you might define to be a crisis situation in your life, we hope that you'll pick up the phone and call. 
we would like to have people feel comfortable reaching out for help and calling and talking to one of our professional counselors long before um, anyone feels that they're at the point where suicide seems like the only option. So crisis isn't defined by us. We would not try to define that for anyone. We would say that if you just feel like you have no place else to turn in a moment and you need a little bit of support and compassion and non-judgmental acceptance, then we hope you would pick up and call our line. Uh, I couldn't agree more. It's not our place to determine what is a, a crisis for someone that's reaching out. Uh, that's entirely subjective for the person that's calling or needing to. And in some cases, I will add even more to that. Uh, sometimes people just want to call and have someone to talk to. Uh, and that can just as much be a source of support for individuals calling. We've had plenty of people that just wanted to talk uh, or just kind of vent about something that was going on. And we can provide that kind of ear as well. Yeah, I think I, I wanted to definitely add that, you know, um, some of a lot of people, you know, we have wonderful supports, uh, you know, family, friends, you know, things like that. And a lot of times those family and friends uh, love us and care about us and want us to feel better quick or want us to fix us or want us to not feel that way. So sometimes they're the way they help is a little bit different. And it's kind of hard to when you care and love somebody to sit in that moment with them when you know you're not feeling so great or you're not you know not doing so well and so that's one of the things that we do is we can sit in that moment with you be there with you support you through that so we're an additional support and sometimes it's easier to talk to somebody that doesn't know you than it is than talking to somebody and being honest and vulnerable with people that do know you anything to add Darcy I think they covered it yeah you know if you have a medical emergency please call 911 those are yeah. the experts for medical emergencies, mm -hmm. but we are the experts for emotional emergencies. We are the experts for behavioral health. So call us um, and we're going to be there to support, help you in the moment and maybe connect you to the right services. Like you may be in crisis in the moment, but you also may need that next step. You need to see a counselor. You need to, and maybe things are so severe, you need to go to a mental health hospital, but you don't know the resources or an intensive outpatient program or what have you. Like it's not only to call and talk to us and figure out what's happening in the moment, it's also a potential what's the next step um, to get the resources and the support that you need. And there are times that family members call because the person that's in crisis doesn't feel comfortable calling. And so they love their husband or their wife or their child or their grandparent or their aunt or their uncle or their best friend. And they're afraid for them and they're calling saying, hey, what can I do? What can I do to support mm -hmm. them? Because being um, having a loved one at risk for suicide or behavioral health crisis is your can be your crisis, too, as a support person. So mm -hmm. it goes back to it's for everybody. Mm -hmm. well, that's a good point, too. And you sort of got into some other things we're going to ask. So that's, a, that's great. I love that. Cause I think that's natural, right? People, people have questions. What actually happens when I get, get it, get a call going. Um, but before I get to that, I want to clarify for folks what a crisis line is versus what it isn't. Right. Um, and you all pretty much clarified that really well, that it's for everyone, right? So it's for, if you don't know what to do, the crisis line is an acceptable answer. 
but that's not just the suicide prevention line, as you mentioned, you all answer lots of different types of crisis lines at a local level in Kentucky. And I think that's really fantastic and something that people don't realize as even I didn't realize it when I got into some of these meetings with y'all. So, so kind of talking a little bit about, you know, all the different kinds of crisis lines you answer. Um, I know all of you have different lines that come in. So can you kind of kind of address which ones are at your facility? including your own. Geneva's going to have a long list. Um, but uh, yeah, so the Penny Rail Center, we we do our local um, crisis hotline information. Um, and it's also our like uh, triage and um, point of entry for our Penny Rail Center. So uh, all of those. Um, and then we, we are actually the um, like call answer service uh, for some local uh, community medical and dental facilities. And then uh, we also do the National Suicide Prevention Lifelines. Um, and we also do uh, text and chatting as well for local and for the lifelines. So yeah. So anyone else wanna share the love? We are also the crisis line for our community mental health center. We're also a scheduling center and uh, for our, our community mental health center for New Vista. And we can actually schedule 24 seven. Um, and we we do some um, contract work with other another mental health center to help with their crisis calls. Um, we help state guardianship after hours answer their crisis calls, um, and you know just the crisis work that happens when a community partner rec you know requests a mobile crisis team to come out or law enforcement is calling for a consult like we field all of those type of calls we also have a program called our jail triage program where we help jails in the state assess uh inmate people that are coming in that are booked at booking or inmates who are at risk for suicide and that has actually been very successful and has reduced the suicide rate I think around 84%, something like that since its inception 15 years ago. So 24-hour, we call it helpline, but our 24-hour crisis line, helpline, scheduling, I think that's for most of us. It answers calls all the time. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop for Christmas or Mother's Day. It's, it's always open. That's awesome. Okay, I can see if I can remember all the lines that we answer and <laughs> get them all straight for us too. Um, like the others here, we are part of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, what will soon be the 988 number that will be launched fully in July. We also have um, the local crisis line that we answer for Jefferson and the six surrounding counties. In addition to that, we answer a toll-free crisis line um, that's actually been in existence for over 50 years for the whole state of Kentucky. So the generalized crisis line for the whole state of Kentucky. Um, we answer in addition to that, we are the answering point for the whole state for the SAMHSA uh, drug resource line. So we can connect folks with resources that they need um, for recovery, for substance use disorders and for family members who are concerned and wanna find resources. In addition to that, we are as are many of the others here, the after hours connection point for our community mental health center. So we take all calls related to that, including a threat line for anyone in the community who is experiencing a threat and an ombudsman line for those who might have a complaint about the services they're receiving. One of the large lines that we also answer is nights and weekends and holidays. As Darcy said, it doesn't stop. For us, it gets busier on those days because we also answer the adult and abuse, adult and child abuse lines for the whole state of Kentucky. So we um, accept and um, 
do the reporting for and the dispatch of on-call workers for all abuse and neglect and exploitation reports in Kentucky as well. We also are the after hours answering point for a number of uh, mutual support groups in our community. So survivors of suicide would be the, the largest of those. So we're the connecting point for those pieces. And like Darcy, we also work with the jail triage. So um, New Vista contacts us when they need a response. So we work collaboratively in that way. And we are responsible for um, activating the actual assessment response for the jails. We also are the um, assessment and contact part point for several mobile programs in our area, which include um, a mobile program for our bullet and surrounding rural areas, a new adult program for um, Jefferson County area, as well as um, working collaboratively to dispatch for a new deflection program that is an alternative response to police and 911 responses in our area. So. I think I got most of them. That is a lot. Um, we, we, are, we are a high volume center. We answer around seven to 8,000 calls a month through our, through our hotline. So I think that covers it. So basically just call us. That's what, you know, we say, we just, if you call us, we can probably get you where you, you need. You probably got right. it. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Jeremy, That's right. you want to kind of run down. It's not as much as Geneva, I know, but it's still a lot. Uh, I kind of feel bad that I got to go last now. Uh, Okay, so our crisis line is based in what we call our access and assessment center. Uh, we have a kind of a policy of no wrong number within our agency. Uh, so our access and assessment center functions as a one-stop shop just for uh, pretty much anything. If the client's not sure where they need to go, they can go through that and get to where they need to be. Uh, so that's where we do our first time appointment scheduling. That's 24 hours a day. Our crisis hotline, that's 24 hours a day. Uh, our crisis hotline also has, for the local level, has a text and chat accessibility. Uh, we are also the call center for the Kentucky Gamblers Helpline, which I'm also a board member of. Uh, we also answer our National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, like you all mentioned, that'll be soon 988. In addition, we are the rollover partner for New Beginnings uh, Sexual Assault Support Hotline. So uh, when individuals call and uh, they're having issues or uh, having problems related to that type of trauma, or in the case of a hospital reporting a sexual assault, we're the ones that will dispatch advocates to those areas to meet with them and discuss what services are able available for that. Uh, we also function at, for our crisis line that functions as our dispatching arm for our mobile crisis unit for the seven county area. Yeah, I think. Oh, and uh, it's the dispatching arm for our forensics team uh, for uh, 202 uh, involuntary hospitalizations. Oh, yeah. I think all of you do that too, right? <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Yeah, it's all in one, right? All these hats I had to in one place. One or two things, so I could. So it wasn't so <laughs> short that Geneva kind of like went over me a bit. No, it was fine. It's good to know, and it's nice to know that a lot of them function in the same way, right? Of course, our larger, more metro area ones have even more, and I'm sure the call volumes are significantly big or bigger from county to county depending on how many people live there right that is part of the thing so that's awesome i wanted to highlight that that no wrong number piece i think that's something that people misunderstand about crisis lines a lot is that they're worried it's like 911 and that they can't just call and find out 
right? And it's like, no, actually do call the crisis line because that is the best way to find exactly what you need, right? Because you guys handle everything. <laughs> so sorry, just you guys, y'all, but you know, I'm from Ohio originally, so forgive me folks. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that's really important. Um, I want to highlight too that there's just not a lot of staff doing all of this, right? And there's not enough staff. And we know that um, I would be remiss if I were not my advocacy hat and saying, we need to get more funding for these folks in their crisis line, not just for 988, but for all of their functions, right? There are so many functions. And a lot of the reason you do so many of the functions is to help pay for those staff that are needed 24 seven. And you know, we need to be able to pay people to take some time off too, right? And, and benefits and such. So that's my advocacy hat moment. So you all don't have to say it, I will. Not that you wouldn't or couldn't, but you know, it's always easier when it comes from me, right? So let's actually walk someone through a call. So what happens if we call your center or if we text or chat, those of you who have that? And Jeremy, I'm going to give it to you first because you've gone last twice. And you've probably okay. been the, uh, the, honestly, the receiver a lot more. So yeah. yeah no problem. Uh, honestly, this is probably the layout is going to probably be about the same for every single center. Uh, you call. We start with hello. <laughs> uh, you identify the line that you reached so that we can make sure that we're on the same page with what was expected. And then I ask what I can do to help you. That's it. Pure and simple. Once we go from there, we can identify what the issue is. And then we kind of work from that point to see what assistance is needed. If that's something, uh, say your electricity's, you just got a shutoff notice. Let's get you in contact with LIHEAP or some kind of warming service to help pay your bills. If you're worried about your children, uh, you ran out of some food or something like that, let's get you in contact with a food pantry. Bing, bang, boom. We have the contacts for every social service we possibly can to get you in touch with, to make sure that your crisis can be resolved during that call or to the best ability that we have. If you reach out by our text message, same thing. Hi, my name's Jeremy. I'm with River Valley or I'm with the Kentucky Gamblers line. What can I do to help you today? That's it. That's awesome. Anybody else want to add two cents? <laughs> yeah, I would love to add. Um, as far as the process goes, absolutely. It's the same. I think one of the things I wanted to highlight, though, is, you know, uh, people have the uh, ability to remain anonymous. Um, you do not have to give any information. You can even make up, uh, you know, your favorite name that you always wish you were called. Um, and that would be completely fine with us. And, you know, so, uh, and uh, another thing is sometimes people are scared that if they call the crisis line, um, that that means, oh, no, they're going to be sent to a hospital or their rights are going to be taken away, you know, things like that. And so I kind of wanted to just reiterate kind of what Jeremy was saying is that we're here to help you. Um, and our job is to purposely offer supports intentionally to keep you uh, feeling well and getting you the right uh, connections to, to help the situation. Um, ultimately, you know, if you do need hospitalization, we wanna help with that. But that is, that is a last resort. Um, and we try to do everything possible to intervene and, you know, support uh, callers um, the best we can without having to go that route. Yeah, the overwhelming majority of the calls we get, almost very few of them actually result in any kind of dispatching of any other service besides let's just resolve this over the phone. More often than not, these crises can be resolved just through talking it out and helping you look at maybe from a different point of view than what we were. Because when we're in that pot of boiling water, when we're in that crisis, all we see is that crisis. It's really hard to see past it. So having that person that's not in crisis to talk to, 
that isn't like you mentioned a family member a friend or someone that wants to resolve it in this way but just wants to listen to you and work it out in a way that's best for you it's it it's a godsend really it, it helps so many people also wanted to add that our staff are trained they're trained for this kind of work like lifeline 988 maybe new when you look at the history that is a newer service right but Geneva pointed out that crisis call centers in Kentucky have been as old as like 50 years ago as I think when we started I know with New Vista we're 35 for so I forget how many it we're kind of an old service that's being repackaged in lifeline or lifeline let me rephrase that lifeline's another tool that's another tool in the things that we are we have already been doing so if you're calling someone, if you're calling one of our centers, that person has been trained in crisis work. And it's, it's not a quick training. I know we have discussed it. It's a good three months to really before we send somebody out on their own. They have to have certain background and expertise before they even get the position. Um, and even after three months, I will say a lot of people take up six months to a year before they really feel comfortable, like before they know the ins and outs. And we always have supports. Um, we, we tend to have more than, depending on how busy your center is, you can have more than one staff on. Um, and we have backup therapists too, that are always on call to talk to. So it's really a collaborative effort. Um, it's not just your crisis call taker, you know, they, they're going to have resources there and they have training and they have backup if it needs to go to a therapist, someone that you need to like another level of care because you need a little bit more time or you need some next steps or what have you. Darcy brings up a good point about the training. And for some of us, I know for my center, for instance, we have a national accreditation through the American Association for Suicidology. And so when you have these accreditations or we're all certified as lifeline sites, that means that we have had to undergo some pretty strict um, observation. We have to meet certain core criteria. We have to, to provide services in a certain way and we're monitored for that. You know, so our staff and for those of us who do at times use students or volunteers are all under very, um, important and um, evidence-informed kind of criteria to make sure that we're providing the best kind of services we can, whatever it is that you bring to the table with us. And one thing I always think is just so cool about crisis lines is we're free. We don't cost anything. When do you hear that anymore? And there's not a string attached to that. We like literally don't cost you. We don't have to get your insurance information. You don't have to go through all those pieces. You know, so that makes it just very much like, hey, you need some help, we're here. And we have people who have gone through a lot of training and who really believe in being here and in what they're doing. Um, a number of people who work for mine, and I feel pretty certain other centers represented here, have their own lived experience. So we know what it's like to be on the other side of the phone too. You know, and so we know how that feels and we know how hard it is to pick up that phone and make that call. So we're all very much rooted in a non-judgmental acceptance of what you bring to the table. Our staff in their training aren't trained to diagnose you or to try to figure out what the underlying issue is. All we care about is how you feel here and right now today and how can we help you feel a little bit better and, and hang on and hang in there and keep um, working toward recovery, keep working toward a way to live a better life. So I think that those things are really important about it as well, as well as the fact that everything that you tell us on, on our lines is confidential. 
you know, that's really important. Um, we want you to be safe. So if you tell us something that makes us really believe that unless we help you out, you're going to end up killing yourself or someone else, then we might take some additional action to try to get help to you when you need it. We're going to be upfront and honest about that. But short of that, short of that kind of level of risk, everything you tell us is going to be held confidential. And all of our staff sign agreements that say that that information will be held confidential. So we want folks to feel like no matter what it is that you need to talk about, or as Jeremy said, just event, and to be able to put someplace safe, a crisis line is a very good place to put that because we are only there to hear you, to meet you where you are. We don't need anything back from you. We just want to give you that support. I just wanted to add to you on to, you know, beside the fact that we are trained and we've been doing this for years is that um, I know, so, you know, it's really hard sometimes and difficult to make that call. Um, but we have heard a lot you know, so nothing that you could say would shock us or surprise us or, you know, we don't judge, you know, in all of those types of things are, are uh, I think, really important to think about when you think we've been doing this for 50 years, that, you know, and we're trained and credentialed to, to be able to do this. Yeah, uh, speaking to that training, uh, it just thinking of the call takers I have in our area. We have a combined experience of about 85, 90 years if you take all of our staff together. And I imagine that's not much different, if not more so for you all, because your centers are much busier too. But all of our staff, uh, I have one master's level uh, person that works on the line. She just got it, uh, her degree within a few years of like, I think the same year I did. Uh, we, everyone on our line before they can even answer the phone has to have at least a bachelor's degree, meaning that they have that undergraduate understanding of what mental health and the symptoms that can contribute to that look like and how they present and what we can do to address it. They have, like you mentioned, that three, it's at least three months before they're consistently taking calls and they shadow quite a bit during that period. And even then, I, I think it's still, like you said, it took me about six months before I was like, okay, I feel like I'm doing good here. Uh, and even then, it's still like every now and then you will get that call that surprises you. But knowing that you know what you're doing and that people are coming to you, it, that definitely helps. But yeah, I've, I can't think of a single call where I had, where I was just like, I don't know. Like, I, I can't think of anything that was just completely shocked or anything like that. It was... Let's figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's figure this out together. Mm -hmm. And I think just hearing that reduces that person's stress so much because it gives them hope. And that's what crisis lines are 100% about is giving hope and providing uh, support. And I just want to add, one, sorry, one more piece about education. It's not a one and done. Society changes, culture changes, evidence-based practices change. We have continuing ed all the time. Um, and if, you know, when you know better, you do better. So if you learn something, if, if the more we practice, you know, practice makes perfect, right? And we're going to apply that to our systems. Um, nine, eight, again, 988 may be new, but crisis work is not. It's as old as the sun. So we're just building on it. And I think one of the things that I find fulfilling with crisis work is you are sitting with someone, it may be the worst day of their life. 
in that in that moment. And you're sitting with them. And even if it's on the phone, you're you know virtually holding their hand, right? And walking them through it. But it's an opportunity for change. It's an opportunity for support. And it, do, it doesn't have to just stay with this is the worst day of your life. It could be, this is the worst day I'm reaching out for support. And this is a turning point in my life rather than being stuck in a crisis. Yeah, I would imagine imagine we all share that need to do something about that moment, right? And need to address it. And, and as crisis folks, you really get to do it, which is fantastic and amazing. And I do want to kind of echo from earlier, we talked about, you know, there is that moment that we might have to call an emergency service. It's very rare though. You know, I think our stat right now is 94% of the time people don't need any kind of response at all. And the lights and sirens at your house is very unlikely with the crisis line. I mean, you've got to be in a really bad place, which we still want you to call if you are in the bad place. But, you know, 94% of the time, we're not going to need to send um, lights and sirens, right? And if we do, we can send the right kind of lights and sirens, not just everybody, because a lot of you have mobile crisis as well, which means folks that are are trained um, to handle these calls. And I really think we should probably talk about that because this is kind of a one-on-one level. What does mobile crisis look like in your area? Because it's going to vary a little bit across Kentucky. <laughs> I can start with that. Um, when we have a call that we've talked to someone for a period of time, you know, you've called in and we're just having our discussion and we, we're going to be assessing for a level of risk when, when we're talking to you. Because again, our bottom line is we want to help keep you safe especially if you feel like you can't, you know, and, and a lot of us, as I said, have been there. So we understand what that, what that can feel like. When we feel that someone might be, um, might benefit from our mobile response team, as opposed to, as Marcy said, lights and sirens coming out, because we do, she's absolutely correct. That's a, a last thing that we want to go to. We have clinicians on call as well as peer supports that work together in a team with our, with our mobile teams. And we keep you on the line talking to us. And if you give us our, your permission to allow us to contact someone for a possible mobile response, we can do a warm transfer or have that person call you back. It's up to you what you would like. Then our clinician or our peer support person will call and talk to you directly following that. And we'll make the arrangements for what fits best for you to have that mobile response. It may be that we're going to come to your home during COVID and even following it, maybe we're going to do a telehealth visit with you. We don't necessarily have to come out. You know, sometimes you don't want a stranger in your house. You know, we also have in, in most of the counties that we work with, we have um, third-party locations, so to speak, that we've identified are safe places that we can also meet with someone if that feels better to the individual. Or if you're not sure you want that mobile team to come out like in the moment, we have the ability to make crisis clinic appointments where the next day you can come in and be seen without having to go through a whole appointment setting process. And when you talk to someone for, for that mobile um, appointment, it's basically like our folks on the phone talking to you. We're just going to come out and talk to you even longer. And that individual is going to not be looking to see, do you need to go to the hospital or not? But what are the next level of services that can best help keep you safe and move you forward in living your best life? How do you get connected to the services that can help you do that? So they're not just going to leave you after that appointment, after that visit either. They're going to help make arrangements 
collaboratively with you for what the next step should be. They'll help you develop a safety plan and help you kind of work your way through knowing how to use that if you're not able to stay safe after they've left and before you have your next appointment. And they're going to set up with you and then follow up with you to make sure that connection is made so that you um, have that safety net underneath you until we can get you into the kind of ongoing services that are going to be able to help you to stay safe and to feel better. I don't think I could uh, say anything more or better than Geneva did. I think that's probably the same for all of us. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, we triage through our crisis line using the uh, Columbia Suicide Severity Rating Scale. And we include questions about risk of harm through homicidal ideation, uh, hallucination or psychosis and uh, substance use. Based on that response, we consult with our mobile crisis team uh, the mobile crisis team clinician also functions as uh, clinical supervision for our crisis line. So we always have that extra security. And uh, I do the consults for non-mobile crisis related calls. So for breaches of confidentiality and stuff like that. Uh, but what Geneva described, it's the exact same. Uh, and it's great to hear how uniform across the state that is. It's the same for us too. I think Geneva did a great job of summarizing that. One of the things I wanted to kind of highlight, and we talked about telehealth, is one of the silver linings of COVID-19 is the expansion of telehealth services and the definition of what that means for behavioral health. And that has really opened up some doors and been able to for us to be to respond more quickly. Instead of somebody waiting in the field, like they may want to talk to someone and they may want mobile crisis to come out, but it's still a developing staffing and a developing response. And we, we, you know, it may take up to an hour, hour and a half before you can get someone at your doorstep or if you're at a police station or if you're at a school and having a request just, just because, the, there's, a, there's a lot of need and we're still building on those teams, right? But telehealth fast tracks that in a way that is beautiful and amazing and that you can see our faces. And sometimes it's only 30 minutes that you need or an hour to go, okay, I've seen you, this makes me feel better. Now we can have an in-person session the next day. What if I fall apart between now and, you know, say I saw you right now at 1.38 p.m. and our session is supposed to be tomorrow at 9 a.m. And I'm like, then you call the crisis line and you ask for me, you know, so telehealth has given us a huge tool and I think has changed our field forever. And I'm so thankful for it because it's it, the act. It's just made access so much easier and better for the people that we serve and quicker. Agreed. And I'll keep fighting like heck to make sure it stays that way. Cause that is something that we're hearing from advocates, you know, telehealth doesn't work for everyone in the same way, but it's still so much better than zero services that just underlining that as a primary right and need, honestly. So thank you all for all that you do on that area. One question I get a lot and I prepped you all for that one. Cause I knew, you know, it's coming information like what do you know about me what are you going to tell people about me who are you going to tell it those are the things that we get the calls about at mha because we're not a crisis line right but they call and they go but i don't trust the crisis line i trust you because i've seen you on tv or whatever right lucky me but it's, it's like but what are what happens and, and sometimes i have to get them to you 
right? I have to do that warm handoff from me to them, to you, because you all are the trained experts, not me, right? I'm not even a provider for those of you who don't know that. So I'm trying to make sure, you know, I have a lot of information and I know a lot of questions, but I can't get to the service level that you might need in your area. So, but that, that one, that one barrier is that concern about confidentiality. So give us a heads up. Like, what do you know? When my first call, I know Geneva had mentioned, you know, you can give me a fake name. I think she said that. So, you know, what do you know about me? And like, if I am in a crisis, like what, what kind of steps do you have to go through to know more about me? Yeah, so I think Geneva put it best, you know, earlier uh, in that everything is confidential um, unless uh, unless there is a certain reason that we have uh, as far as like imminent risk uh, to 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 break confidentiality. Everything is confidential and you can remain anonymous. So it's really about what information you want to provide us with is how much information we know. And we cannot share that information unless you give us permission to do that. Um, ex- unless it meets one of those little small, you know, criteria there that where we'd have to break confidentiality. So, yeah, I absolutely understand that concern. I mean, I think all of us are human and we don't want people knowing our business and, uh, you know, and so even as a personal, you know, level, uh, we get it. Uh, we love that. And as a professional, we are bound by that. So uh, we don't have really a choice uh, in order to do what we do in the field that we that we are in, uh, that is just one of our, you know, golden rules. Um, and we do not take it lightly. And it's very important to us. And it's also very important to us to let you know that that information is going to be safe with us and, you know, uh, not be shared unless you, you tell us we can. And I want to just kind of give an example of that, if I could. You know, we're connected to in a, a program of um, a community mental health center, Seven County Services. And as the after hours answering point um, for seven counties, we get a lot of calls from clients who are actively engaged in services in one of our many programs. And we get the question a whole lot about, are you gonna tell my therapist what I'm saying? Is is my therapist gonna be able to get this information? And you know what? The answer is no. And the therapists aren't always happy about that. Unless you, again, unless as Audra mentioned also, unless we have reason to believe through a very thorough assessment and careful consideration, that you are at imminent risk of harming yourself or someone else. Other than that, if the information is impertinent to that, we believe you have a right to vent that to us and to share that with us. And it's your choice whether you tell your therapist that information or not. We don't automatically send our information that you tell us to your therapist even. If you ask us to and you tell us it's okay, you would like us to be able to do that, we we can. But that is not part of our process. That information is yours to tell. So we are a safe place, even for those who are already connected in some way to a mental health agency that does it. You know, and we are the information that we are documenting, because you might hear somebody typing when you call in and wonder about that. It's not personal information. Again, like we said, we're free. So we don't care about your insurance. We don't care where you live. We don't care if you're purple, pink or green. It doesn't really matter. All that matters are your emotions and your feelings in the moment. So we're just documenting some very basic information about what we're doing on our end so that we can have um, an idea of how, that's how I can tell you how many calls we get a month, you know, so that we can get funding to help support our services. That's the primary reason for any documentation that we do and on our end. And based on our conversation we had before this, I just want to assure people, there's no data mining. Like we are not taking your phone number and selling it to somebody. One that's against 
all type of ethical caretaking service, helping services. And I think it's illegal, but um, we wouldn't do it anyway, even if it was like that, that's just not going to happen. That's not the purpose. There's your private, you don't have to sign a privacy agreement because it's already insured. Uh, just to kind of add to all that, uh, and it's something we did discuss earlier. Yeah, the, these lines are absolutely confidential. It, that doesn't necessarily mean it's anonymous. Uh, when you call, uh, if you have a call ID set up with our line, it does pop up with the phone number and the number of whoever that line's, uh, that number is registered under. But that's the only information we start with. And if that's not the name you want to give me, that's not the name I use. I've had callers that asked me just right from the jump, are you going to call the police on me or something like that? And the answer is no, more than likely not. Uh, here are the reasons why I would ever break confidentiality with you. If you are actively engaging in suicide and we cannot deescalate in a safe way, if you're in a medical emergency, um, if you ask me to uh, contact the police for you. Uh, really, those are the only reasons, uh, unless, I, and I'm sure I'm probably forgetting one, but those are the only ones that come to mind immediately for like why I would ever break your confidentiality because that's a breach that the only time I've ever had to do that was in an effort to save someone's life that I can't de-escalate in a safe way. Safe yeah, to say that we all have policies around this. This isn't just like a general floating ethical sort of thing that we're saying. Yeah, no. All of our programs have really strict policies and procedures around this mm -hmm. that people are held um, accountable to yeah. to do that. So it isn't just our word that we're giving mm -hmm. you. It is actually the um, the protocol and the the policy of our programs in all of our cases. And we have to be able to show proof of that for the accreditations that we have and to be part of the lifeline as well. So Absolutely. that, yeah, so I think that's true for all of us. Yeah, and I think as an, as an advocate, I'm gonna say yay, because those are really important, right? And the fact that it's not being made up on the spot every day for every different yeah, person the, who answers the, the phone, that's important. Anyone wants to do is go from what we would consider like the least restricted to the most restrictive form of care, just like that. We want to start here. And if we have to go up a little bit, okay, but we never want to jump straight to here if it's something that we can't just handle over the phone. Like it's yeah, it's it's not necessary. And it's it's a it's a use of resources that we don't need to be doing. Well, maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but to kind of give a breakdown, I think it's around 85% of the calls are people that are in distress and thing and in a situation where that call and that call taker is able to resolve it in that one phone call, period. And then you get to the, you know, the 15%. And even then that's a breakdown of maybe it went to um, a licensed therapist for consultation. Maybe, and then that's like 10%, and maybe like four or 5% goes beyond that. So it, if that helps people who are listening, like, well, what does that really look like? Well, that's that's typically, and that is typical of all of our centers, um, because so when Geneva was talking about if there's some typing, that we're talking about how it's resolved, so we can learn from each other too, because the whole point is we do want to keep keep people in their community and we want to provide those supports. The other stuff is pretty disruptive in people's lives, and we only want to use that as it's there for a reason, right? That safety net is there for a reason, mm -hmm. um, but we only want to use it if we really need it. 
important to have it, but gosh, it'd be great if we never needed it. Right. If people called in advance before they got to that level, that would be so much more important. And, and I do think we want to highlight just a couple of things. I really like the attitude of all of you, the way you approach this is it's very person centered. And I think that's evolved, right? Like, you know, back in the old days, we did very patriarchal kind of ideas. Like you're going to do what I tell you to do, right? Like, and this, we know what's best for you. And I feel like that's not what I'm getting from any of you. It sounds to me like you really are focused on what does that person willing to do? What can we talk about doing? What are the options available to you? I think those are great changes in the conversation in my lifetime, because I know that that's not how things were run when I was younger. So having that lived experience I have. <laughs> so it's like, it's really nice to hear that change. And, and I wanted to make sure that you all got a little kudos out of that, because I really think that's the system evolving, right? We've learned. We've learned what works for people. We've learned that people a lot of times are going to be much more successful if they do what they want, right? I think that's the right way to say it, right? So I'm seeing a lot of nods, so I must not be getting it too wrong. <laughs> and we talk about recovery, right? And, and I do at least, that's part of my job. And you all as crisis folks don't always see the recovery. Um, and I really wanna kind of highlight some of that a little bit that recovery happens for everyone, right? You can call in a crisis and maybe today you're fine and maybe ne the next day you're not. And you know, you're, you guys don't judge people for calling back a second or third time. And I think that's something that folks also have that little myth about in their head. They're like, you know, you can call 911 only so many times before they get exhausted. Well, yeah, that's because they're only there for that last second. But a crisis line is there for much more, right? And I love that you all did a really good job of that. <laughs> well, and just to plug for behavioral health, you don't go to your doctor once. Right. If you have the, if you have a sinus infection, if you have a broken leg, you go when you need it. Mm -hmm. uh, you probably or should. We don't always do it right, but go once a year for a checkup. Healthcare is not one and done. It's as needed. Mm -hmm. And you can be in recovery for a really long time and then something happened. Yeah. A loss, an accident, some situation in life that triggers and you need that support. And maybe you've been down that road before and you don't want to go again. So you want to get those services up front right now and you give us a call. I, I wanted to just really highlight what I'm hearing in that like their recovery is possible. Recovery can happen. You know, just because we have a mental illness doesn't mean like it's a destinance or it's horrible. Um, just like, you know, if you have diabetes, uh, it's manageable, right? We, we can live with it. We can learn to manage it and, and be healthy and fine and, you know, still live life to the fullest. And I think that's so important that, and you know, it, it was touched on, but recovery is possible. And the way we maintain our recovery is learning how to do it, you know, like going to the doctor, uh, just like, if, like diabetes, that you learn about like what medicines you need, or, you know, if you need to take an injection or monitoring the way you eat or, your, you know, your diet or something like that. So that's what we are here for mental health is, you know, to, to help you reach your recovery. Um, and to do it as quickly as possible, um, because we know that the longer you wait to get help and the, the longer you reach out, the worse situations can get, just like with medical. You know, if you got an infection and you wait uh, to, to go get it taken care of, what does it happen? It turns into like a bigger infection. So, you know, we're here to help uh, get those uh, services in any kind of situation that you need, like as quick as possible. And we believe that you can feel better even when you don't. 
you know, we want to be, as Jeremy mentioned earlier, we want to be that hope for you when you're in those times that you just can't see it. You know, that, that dark tunnel that we all get into sometimes. We know either from our personal experience or from all the people that we have seen, you know, survive and go on to thrive, that it can happen. So we want to be that hope for you when you have lost your ability to believe into that and to be able to connect to that. So we would ask that you honor us with letting us be that for you in that moment of need. What a great way to say it. Jeremy, any last thoughts you want to make sure that we highlight? Yeah, uh, honestly, you all summed it up really good. The best thing I can think of is just, uh, I have a lot of gratitude in me for the opportunities to learn how I did uh, working our crisis line and encountering people uh, from all walks of life uh, from any varying level of crisis that they return because they were always a crisis to them. And uh, Geneva kind of mentioned it really well. If we look at this from a medical thing, if you have a broken toe, if you have a, uh, your ankles twisted or something like that, you go to the doctor. You don't just leave it alone. And so often we see uh, individuals that are experiencing a crisis or in a stressful situation have, feel like they don't have an option but to sit in it. And in our culture, this idea that we just have to kind of stiff upper lip it and tough it out. And that doesn't do you any favors because what you're doing is you're walking day in, day out on a broken foot. And we here at a crisis line offer a way to remove that barrier to treatment that some of us have. And that barrier can be distance. Maybe your community mental health center is too far away, or you don't have the money for public transportation, or it's not available in your community. We're a phone call away. Crises don't care if they happen during business hours. A crisis doesn't care that it's Mother's Day. A crisis doesn't care that it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. It doesn't matter. A crisis is a crisis is a crisis. And we want you to know that we're here for you. I love it. I'm not seeing anything in the chat other than some thank you for all you do. And some folks are like, yes, haven't had to call. I was curious what happened. So I think we've We've answered those questions, which is wonderful. Any last Honestly, words from the rest of you? Mm -hmm. Can I add one more thing? Um, we were comparing it to like healthcare, but I also want to, and we, I know we all believe this, uh, it's not a moral failing. If you're depressed, if you're sad, if you're having thoughts of suicide, if you're anxious and panicky and having thoughts of suicide because of that, if you're having other type of mental health or substance use or what have you. Um, you are, you may feel alone, but I'm telling you, you're not. And there are so many people that can come alongside you and go, peers who have experienced the same thing and behavioral health professionals that are here to provide supports. It is not a character flaw. You didn't do something wrong. Um, it's not that you didn't pray enough. Um, life happens and emotional health and mental health can be difficult sometimes. So I just want to put that out there too. And just to, and I think it's better than it ever has been. Like I, I hear more people like recognizing that and internalizing that and like, okay, this is a symptom, just like how Audra talked about diabetes. Like this is a symptom of an illness or a disease or an issue that I have to deal with. Um, and it may not be forever, or it may be that I do have to get some as assistance and then figure out how to be on maintenance. Um, but I just, 
I just want to remind people of that. Excellent I just point. wanted to add uh, this. My last comments is that, you know, uh, mental health crisis, all that kind of stuff does not discriminate. <laughs> so it does not matter uh, your ethnicity, age, gender, you know, sexual orientation, you know, any of that. It does not, uh, your status, right? Your income status, you know, all of those things. So it can happen to all of us and probably most of us that are in the helping field because a lot of us are wounded helpers ourselves. And so, you know, you can be human and it's okay to have a mental illness and you can still be a professional uh, first responder or, you know, and I think a lot of times um, just that uh, thought that like mental illness only affects a certain group is just, you know, I just wanted to throw out there, you know, that we have people all the time from everywhere uh, with all different types of experiences that call our crisis line. And we would just love to hear from anybody um, who, who needs assistance. Last words, Geneva, I think we'll wrap up with you. Well, in case you haven't gotten the message already from these wonderful people who are here talking to you, you're cared about even when it doesn't feel like it. There is hope even when you have lost it. And having a life that's worth living is within your grasp. All you've got to do is that most courageous thing and is just reach out and grab our hands and let us help you. Help us help you get the help you need so that you can feel that. So know that you're cared about. And that everyone here um, and every one of the staff that we work with do this because we believe recovery is possible and because we believe that you deserve it. So thank you. Awesome. Last words. And I'll add one quick second that mental health first aid teaches us uh, if you are not the one in crisis and you still don't know what to do, a crisis line is still there for you too. So if you're that wounded helper yourself, right, who's out there trying to be everything to everyone, you're not alone either right? The crisis line is there to help you understand what the options are for your friends and family as well. So, um, yeah. And if you have to wait for a minute to get a call taker or a crisis line worker, please wait. We are building our staff. Of every, COVID has brought mental health to the forefront. Everybody has dealt with stresses and things that they never thought that they'd have to deal with before. So there's a lot of requests out there and we are building up our staff. Please please be patient with us. Um, if you have to wait for a few minutes in queue, please wait um, and we will answer the phone. Uh, yep. We try to make that as quick as possible and more times than not, we can do it. But every once in a while, sometimes there's a minute that you have to be on hold. So if you could just wait, I would appreciate it. And, we're here. and if you don't want to talk on the phone, all of most of these lines have a chat or text function. Yeah. You don't have to talk if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. But reach out in some way. But reach out, yes. Above all, just reach out your hand. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. And if you're called to do this work, contact your local community mental health work center and ask about the requirements for these positions because we, we definitely need a, a bigger workforce. Thank you all so much for your time. I know that you do so much already and it's already stressful, but I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Um, thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank that. you. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to that amazing webinar. I hope you all got information that you needed out of it. Um, and if you have any other questions, you can feel free to reach us. You can find all of our information at www.mhaky.org. That's Mental Health America of Kentucky.org. You can also call our 
or text us at 859-684-7778 and you'll likely get me directly. So thanks again for listening. Uh, Thank you to Joanne Conger for being an amazing audio editor and putting this together for us. And thank you for the theme music to Adam Sopopoulos. And thank you again to Kentucky Department for Behavioral Health, Developmental, and Intellectual Disabilities for helping fund some of this amazing educational content. Y'all have a great day. Be well.